Oh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son. Give us vision and hearing and sensitivity to your Spirit that we might learn more of the coming of your Son. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We live in a world that is continually sending us the message, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We're continually being pushed to go faster, to jump ahead, to move up, to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. And this life, this culture of pushing, this culture and life of speed has created a culture of impatience. And impatience is, has always been a, a struggle for human beings, but it seems like now it's even more so the case for us. I mean, I, I know it is for me. I, I get impatient and irritable waiting at a traffic light for 60 seconds. I get impatient waiting for two or three cars out here to pass me on 19 when I'm trying to cross the road. I, I, get, I get very frustrated waiting in, in line at a store if the people in front of me or the cashier aren't doing things quick enough. You know, shopping the other day and you know, two of the people in front of us were paying with cash. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Cash is so slow. Use a credit card. Let's go. Come on. Keep it moving. Got things to do here. I had to hit myself in the head and say, what are you doing? But it's that mindset of, we've got to go faster because we've got more to do. I'm often the kind of person that, you know, I will go to a store and you look for the, which checkout line has the fewest people in it. And I sometimes try to keep both feet in both lines to see which one's going to go fastest. You ever done that? I remember years ago seeing an episode of Candid Camera. Many of you remember Candid Camera where... You know, they would uh, unknowingly put people in situations where they made fools out of them, basically, tricked them. And this one episode took place in a bank, and uh, there were two teller windows. And it was, a, it was at a time like our bank here where you had to choose which t- line you wanted to get into. You know, some of the banks now, you get into a queue, and whichever one comes open first, the next person moves up. But you, you pick the, the, the teller you wanted to to, uh, to follow. So you get in line, and they picked a person when they walked in, they targeted them, and there were about four people in each line, and so they got into a line, and, and the other line then began to move. And uh, as people came into the bank, they'd get in that line, and it was just moving and moving, and this line was going nowhere. So after a few minutes of that, this person they had targeted, who's still in the back of this line, decided they were going to jump to the other line. So they jumped to the other line, and as soon as they jumped, that line stopped, and the line they were in started moving. And moving and moving and moving, and finally they were so exasperated, they went back to the first line they were in, and again, it stopped, and the other one kept moving. I thought, this is so funny to watch when it happens to somebody else. I don't think I would have enjoyed that, uh, being on that candid camera. But, you know, it's not just the waiting in lines that create, that, where we see this culture of impatience. 
this culture of faster, quicker, sooner. We, we're continually being bombarded with messages that tell us we ought to be raising our children to grow up sooner, grow up faster. We see this in, in, in the move up the corporate ladder. And, and there are a lot of people who are willing to do whatever they have to do to keep moving up the ladder. Because the goal, the object of life is to get to the top as fast as you can. We want all of the toys that we covet sooner and sooner and sooner. We want what we want and we want it now. And this is why Advent is both so troubling for us and so necessary for us. Because you don't read the scriptures very long until you come to see that God loves waiting. God loves having his people wait. And God calls his people to live lives of patient waiting. Waiting and its twin timing have always been central to God's kingdom. At the age of 75, Abraham receives a promise that God, from God that he and Sarah are going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And they're excited about it. They don't have any children. And they, 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 they've been wanting children for years. And God says, it's going to happen. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And finally, they become tired of waiting and they decide to take matters into their own hands. And wow, what a mess they make of their lives. We're still living with with the problems that their decision caused. And nevertheless, God keeps saying, wait. And finally, 25 years later, 25 years after that promise, Sarah has a son. God's promise is fulfilled. And they learn a lesson about waiting and timing and trusting. The nation of Israel is led by God to settle in Egypt. And they live peaceably there for a while. And then the Egyptians enslave them. And year after year, they cry out to God, to the God who's promised to free them, who's promised to to take them into that, that promised land. But years turn into decades and, and decades into centuries and generations come and go. But the oppression remains. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. Until 400 years pass. And then God raises up Moses to lead them to the fulfillment of God's promise. And they learn that following God is about waiting and timing and trust. Since the day that that God speaks punishment upon Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden, God's people have been waiting for the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior to come. 
They wait through generations of leaders. They wait through the judges. They wait through the kings and the prophets. They wait through the exile. They wait through the restoration of Jerusalem. They wait through the dark years between the testaments. They wait and they wait and they wait. And they cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And then quietly, without fanfare, in an ordinary stable, to, in an ordinary little town, to an ordinary couple, a child is born. And in that moment, the promise is fulfilled. And Paul says to the Galatians, when the right time had fully come, when the appointed time came, when the proper time arrived, when the time decided by God the Father came, he sent his son. I don't know exactly why that moment was the right time. You know, there, there is speculation that because of the Roman Empire's interest in building roads and, and in the common language and, and in the relative peacefulness because of the Roman Empire, that it was the perfect time to come and that the world was most ready and it was most productive and it was most, most right for spreading the word. And that may be true, But it seems to me that when it comes to receiving the Messiah, wouldn't every age, any age, be the perfect time? And yet there's a lot of waiting. Paul says that Christ comes, or depending on your perspective, that he waits to come until the timing is perfect. And you can see that perhaps centuries later, but it's hard to see when you're right in the middle of it. When do you most often think about time? It's when you're anticipating something, right? When you're waiting for something. And the longer you wait, the more frustrated you get. The longer you wait, the more often you look at your watch, you look at the clock on the wall. The longer you wait, the harder it becomes to wait. And so imagine how difficult it is for the Israelites. Hundreds of years of clock watching. I wonder if many of them give up. And yet God says the timing is right. It's not as though God doesn't want to act before this time. It's not as though he's saying, well, I really don't care for those people, so I'm going to wait, and these people are better, so I'll act for them. God has been planning this moment when Jesus comes since Adam and Eve. Revelation says since the creation of the world. God wants to send his son. It's not as though people were were begging and cajoling him until finally he said, all right, I'll give in and and send him. You know how, how much we love to give gifts to those we love. We know also how hard it is sometimes to to wait to give the gift. It's someone's birthday, it's Christmas time, anniversary, and you find just the right gift, but it's weeks until that event. It's hard not to tell them about it. It's hard to keep it a secret. It's hard to hold on to it. You want to just give it. Because we love to give gifts to people we love. Particularly, think about children. I remember when, when John was a 
a year and a half old, his second, his second Christmas. We, along with grandparents, got him one of those really hard plastic basketball hoops. And, it, you know, it was the kind of thing where you could raise it and lower it. It would go down like three feet and up to six feet. And it was a great gift. He was 18 months old. We couldn't wait. What's in, ironic, too, is that he was sick that Christmas. So the only person who played with it was me. That was great. You know, I'm out in the garage most of the Christmas day playing basketball out there. First time I could ever dunk in my life, dunk a basketball. <laughs> How much more our Father in heaven loves to give gifts. And God's waiting is not about him not wanting to give. It's about the timing being perfect when the gift is given. And if Advent... The first advent and the second one to come teaches us anything. It teaches us that God is not going to be controlled or manipulated or held hostage by our impatience. God acts when he knows it's right. And so advent is continually shouting at us, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. It's a very smooth transition to move to having spent time in in focusing on prayer and now moving into Advent. Because there are many similarities, not the least of which is God's answers to prayer and timing. Throughout our prayer vigil, a number of people told me that the timing of that couldn't have been any better. There were difficult things they were facing or other people were facing, and, and the vigil... It came at exactly the right moment. It was a wonderful time for this emphasis and this intensity of prayer. And that God used the timing of that perfectly. It's, it's in prayer that we, we often most clearly feel that call to wait. Without this dimension of, of patience or waiting on the Lord, we develop a wrong assumption about prayer. And of the work of God in prayer. We think prayer is primarily about getting things from God and getting them right now. And prayer is that, but it's primarily about being with God. We assume that prayer implies that that God must change our circumstances and do it right now. And God does that and we pray about God doing that. But really prayer implies that God needs to change us. As we all know, that takes time. And prayer is calling us to a new way of thinking, to thinking about God time rather than our time. And in God's time, things tend to move more slowly, but also perfectly. And waiting for God in prayer, as someone has said, changes the rhythm in our souls. It adjusts us to God's timetable rather than the other way around, as we often think. One writer puts it, prayer bends our souls to the speed of God's loving purposes for us. And we cannot pray well until our spiritual clocks have been adjusted to God time. How we struggle to live in God time, and that's again why Advent is so important for us. 
in his book, Patience, How We Wait Upon the, Lord, on the, on the World, David Bailey Harnett argues that there are two pervasive assumptions of our age that have caused our patience to atrophy. One of them is that we are firmly convinced that waiting and the need for patience is purely accidental. In other words, we've come to believe that we shouldn't have to wait. And that when we have to wait, it's some kind of accident that's outside the norm. No wonder we uh, feel pretty irked when uh, waiting intrudes our lives. And the second thing is that most of us assume that real life involves getting things done, checking the items off our to-do list, working efficiently. And so we view waiting as some kind of listless, passive, unproductive non-activity. But it's not real life. It's just not successful real life. Because we have come to believe that real life is the goal, not the process to the goal. But both of those mindsets are completely opposite of the kingdom of God and of God time. And maybe it's because God is trying to help us live in his time that he causes us to wait in those answers to prayer. Maybe it's because God knows there's something inherently powerful for us that can only take place in waiting. And he lets that happen. I firmly believe that it's only in the waiting that we truly learn how God wants to make us holy like himself. And God doesn't do that because he's stubborn or unwilling to work any other way. It's because waiting develops patience and patience leads to surrender. And surrender is at the heart of holiness. Waiting shapes us like Christ as Matt Woodley points out, because the scriptures are crystal clear that the biggest waiter, hands down, the biggest waiter is none of us. It's God. The difference is God waits with great joy. The Bible declares that God is patient with us. That God suffers long with us. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And there are people who read the scriptures and are appalled to discover that God gets angry with human beings. And it seems as though often out of nowhere, God blows up and he unleashes a plague or an earthquake or famine or flood or something. But we forget the timetable. In every one of these cases, God has patiently endured dysfunctional, messed up, destructive human behavior for decades, centuries, sometimes for millennia. Before stepping in and saying, okay, that's enough. Someone has to stop this behavior and clean up the mess. Woodley asserts that most of the big words in the Christmas story Keep coming back to the patience of God. Creation means that God, unlike the other gods in the in the other creation, in the creation myths of other nations, when God creates, He doesn't destroy the world over and over again because He's impatient with us. 
He creates it, and even though we mess up things, he's continually working to redeem it. The incarnation means that God is patient with human flesh and human bodies because he became flesh with us. Atonement means that God is patient with us even when he should have turned his face away from us. And if God is patient with us, and if we are called to be patient with him, then doesn't it make sense that he also calls us to be patient with each other? When we wait on God, when we live in God time, not only does it make us patient about the way God works, it makes us patient with God's other children. And we begin to learn the art of love in that patience. Someone has said, when I wait on God, it teaches me and trains me to move at the speed of love. And that's vastly different from the technological speed in which we're accustomed. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with fast Unless fast becomes our God, unless fast becomes a mask that keeps us from developing our relationships with each other that are always built slowly and patiently. So Advent is about waiting and trusting, moving at God's pace, not ours. Advent calls us to move toward Christmas slowly, patiently, expectantly, refusing to rush past these times of waiting. And it's hard to pull that off because everyone and everything around us is continually pushing us and propelling us about faster, faster, faster. Everything is racing toward Christmas. Just go into a a store. You see Christmas specials and cards and tinsel and trees. And all of that is in there and has been in there since before the Halloween candy was taken off the shelves. It's difficult to hear Advent's call to patience and waiting. Sometimes it feels like if you try to live that way, it feels like you're trying to hold back the tide. It feels like you're trying to hold the reins on on a hundred wild horses. And of course, it doesn't help anything that just generally we're not very good at patience. In his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg makes an astute observation about our yearning to go fast in life. He said, we worship at the shrine of the golden arches, and it's not because they sell good food or even cheap food. It's because they sell fast food. But what's interesting is that after the fast food was introduced, people still had to park their cars, get out of the car, go inside, place their order, and go to a table and sit down. And we discovered that that wasn't quite fast enough, so we invented the drive through window. So the people could, and families could eat their meals in vans, as nature intended. And even in the church... Give me what I want when I want it. No waiting, no challenge, no sacrifice. No wonder we have such a difficult time understanding and accepting God's perfect timing when it doesn't mirror our plans and our ideas. 
We all know waiting rooms are some of the most frustrating places in the world. Waiting in line is maddening. Waiting for the clock to move is exasperating. And waiting for God is just as difficult. But at some point, we have to come to grips with the fact that if you're going to be a child of God, if you're going to be a follower of God, you better learn to wait. Because if the scriptures and history teach us anything, it's that God is not going to change the way he does things. So either we have to get on board with him and his timing or we get off the train. And the heart of Advent, purpose of Advent, is helping us learn a little bit more about how to wait, about how to trust God's perfect timing. And you know, that that really is what it comes down to. That we trust that God's timing is perfect because we believe that the one who calls us to wait, the one whom we're called to trust, is good. And that every time we wait, that every time we have to sit back and, and trust and be patient. It's only because the God who loves us more than anything else knows what's best, knows what's right, and is moving us toward that. And our willingness to wait for God is perhaps the most profound means of us declaring that we believe that God is good and that God is in control and that he does things in the right way and at the right time. I would be interested to know the conversation between Mary and Joseph as they make their way to Bethlehem. I, I, I don't know exactly what's said during that conversation, but if there are anything like us, something of that conversation had to be, Lord, this really isn't the very best time here. I mean, we, we've already gone through a lot, and now this timing... Are, are, are you sure this is, this is right? And I don't know when everything changes, but I'm certain that it does. Because even by the time you get just a little bit further into the nativity story, you see a different perspective. Maybe it's when the, when the shepherds come. Maybe it's the magi. Maybe it's, it's just when they're reminded the light dawns on them about Micah's prophecy. But at some point... I am convinced that Joseph and Mary come back around and say, Lord, your timing was perfect. And we trust you. During these weeks of Advent, are we willing to let God teach us the blessing of waiting? As you ponder that thing in your life, that struggle, that burden, That uncertainty. Are you willing to wait and to trust and to believe that God's timing is always perfect because God is good? Heavenly Father, 
we acknowledge we don't always understand. Help us to wait. And to trust. Help us to wait. And to trust. Help us to wait and to trust. Amen.